0: Hi, this is Josh, worship leader from Christ Center Church. You are now listening to Christ Center Cast. So I'd had in mind and had a different idea for what I would share as an introduction tonight, an attention getter. I wasn't certain about it, but I was pretty certain that that is what I was going to go with. At least until we started singing and worshiping the Lord tonight, And then it was like the Holy Spirit slapped me in the face and I was like, okay, that's the direction that I need to go to begin the preaching of tonight's word. Because it was not something that was coordinated or planned as these things often aren't when it it seems like a word that's used as as serendipity, but we know that it's God's providence when things just kind of come together and he's moving and working behind the scenes. When we began singing tonight, we started with the song, Always. Always. The very first slide, if you remember, said, my foes are many, they rise against me, but I will hold my ground. And that just, wow, I was like, okay, yes, that's what we're looking at tonight as we look at the next section in Nehemiah. Because as we've seen over the course of the last five messages from the last five chapters, it, it seems like that just when things are going right, as the building project was moving along for Nehemiah and company, and oftentimes it seems like things are moving along right in life for us, it seems, uh, it seems like in life when things start going right and we're making some progress, that there is someone who is waiting to try and knock us back. Without fail, right? We start getting some momentum and then someone or something comes along and happens and it's like, oh, and we have to figure out what to do. And as we've seen over the last few weeks in particular, that sometimes those threats, those things that can knock us back or attempt to take the wind out of our sails, are threats from the outside. They're outside circumstances or people that we may not even be closely connected to or familiar with. But then, as we saw last time, those threats can actually come from within. They can even be us if we're not careful. And still, other times, the threat is a direct attack to our face, to our person, or even to our character. So, sometimes it's out there, it seems like in the ether, an attitude or something that's affecting what's going on around us, sometimes it's people that are close to us, sometimes it is someone who's directly in our face, who's trying to do something to sabotage us, to hold us back, to slow us down, or to get us off course as we try to see what God is doing in our lives and we try to follow him. Well, this excuse me, <clears throat> well, the same point for Nehemiah as he progressed through dealing with these various threats in chapter six, we 're going to see that he too faces a, a, finally a direct threat against this person, because as we saw over the last few weeks, originally it was the different nations who were a threat against Jerusalem and the building project there, and then we saw that it was the nobles on the inside of the walls, his very people. Who are threatening the project. And today we see that people actually directly come at him to try to attack him. And we see that over, and we've seen it over the last month, that Nehemiah has been a man of great character through all of these things. He's demonstrated masterful leadership skill, he's navigated these attacks, he's redirected people, he's confronted people, and tonight we're going to see how he handles a threat against himself. And as we look at the text, we're going to discover four ways that we can deal with attacks against us. When God is moving and working in our lives, he's trying to do something, and we get attacked somehow, we're going to see four ways that we can deal with that, that we can <coughs> excuse me, handle that. We're going to, in fact, see what we could call four strategies for squashing slander. Because in this day and age, we're not often physically attacked. We're not often physically threatened. Our lives aren't typically physically in jeopardy here in America. Now they can't be said throughout the world, but here generally we're not going to be physically beat up. But we are verbally attacked. Our character is often verbally assassinated. We are threatened by others who confront us and say things. And we're going to see four ways that we can handle that and that we can address that from Nehemiah chapter 6. And as we look at these four strategies for squashing slander, for addressing the attacks that people make against us, we find that the first slander-squashing strategy, number one, is that we can be too busy obeying God to bother with it. Yeah, I mean, really. It seems so simple, right? And yet, that's the reality. If we're so busy focused on doing what we're supposed to be doing... Do the things that other people say and the ways that they try to come at us really even matter? Do we have time for those things? Should we have time for those things? Well, I would argue from the text here today that it would be far better if we were too busy doing the right thing to worry about others who are doing the wrong thing. And in this case, it's, a, it's attacking someone. So in chapter 6, beginning in verse 1 through 4, we find the first strategy, and that's being too busy obeying God to bother Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, and he gives us a parenthetical reference, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, so he's saying we were most completely done except for just hanging the doors. That was the last thing to do, essentially. He said, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, come and let us meet together at Heciferim in the plain of Ono. But Nehemiah said, oh no, I'm not going. There's a pastor joke for you. I don't often make those, but there you go. But it's the plane of oh no. And he realized that it was not a good idea to meet with these gentlemen, because as we see here next, but they intended to do me harm. So he recognized right away that these guys, it sounds like they were going to jump them or roll them. We don't really know, but he actually seems to be communicating that he was in physical danger here. He says, they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. I can't go, guys. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way. And I answered them in the same manner. So he's saying, things are rolling along. We got the project basically done with the exception exception of throwing the doors on. And I'm starting to get this communication from my enemies. And they're saying, I need to come down and I need to meet with them secretly. They have something to tell me. Well, he says, I didn't go because I knew they were going to try to hurt me somehow. But they kept inviting me to go there. They kept sending for me to come down to meet with them. Over and over again, four times. But Nehemiah said, now guys, I'm too busy doing what I know God wants me to do. I'm too busy following the Lord's direction. I'm too busy with this building project that he has for me. And I just can't go. I'm not going to go. It's not worth my time or effort. And what we see is we look at this idea of being too busy obeying God to bother, we have to realize that when we're too busy obeying God to bother, it means that we exercise discernment with distractions. Because distractions are going to happen. People are going to say things. If you're trying to serve the Lord you will be criticized. There will be someone, somewhere, that's going to uh, knock what you're doing or throw digs at you personally or at what you're attempting to do or even accomplishing. It's going to happen. People love to criticize other people. It's like they have nothing better to do, so they want to distract and disrupt those who do have better things to do. And Nehemiah, I believe, is an example for us in how we can approach that in these first four verses when he says, I'm just, I'm too busy. I'm too busy doing what God wants me to do to be distracted by what you are trying to do. Because I know you have ill intentions. I know that no good can come from this. I'm not going to allow myself to be distracted by what you're attempting here. He exercised great discernment in what was worth his attention. And he knew that these attacks were not worth his attention. He does something else here, though, when he is too busy to bother with the attacks against his person. He not only exercises great discernment as a person, but he also did not give in just to shut these guys up. Because that can be a temptation, too, can't it? To give in to the critical voices, the people that attack us, to believe the lies that they say about who we are or what we do or what God may be doing in our life. And it can be easy for us to just go, you know what? It's not worth dealing with anymore. Maybe they're right. Maybe I should quit. Maybe I should just give up. Maybe this isn't what God wants me to do. There can be many voices, many times, that can uh, discourage us and try to disrupt what we're trying to accomplish for the Lord. But we can't give in to those voices. We can't just cave in order to stop them because there's always going to be someone else down the road who's going to attack us. It's just going to happen. Even if one person shuts up, someone will step in to fill that void because Satan and dark forces will see to that. But Nehemiah said, no, no. They sent to me four times in this way, over and over and over and over again, and I answered them in the same manner. Nehemiah recognized that there was far too much at stake for him to get distracted by the distractions and to give in and cave to his enemies who were trying to derail him and get the project off course. And God is trying to do something in your life right now too. And whether that individual or person or entity is attacking you, however they are, they're trying to get you off course and distract you too. That may be a person in your life. That may be ideas in your own mind that you've heard from other people over the years and that you've allowed to uh, accumulate. And it may be an entire script in your mind that's holding you back from doing what God wants you to do. It, It could be something satanic. Because those voices are there too. There could be any number of voices or people or entities trying to distract you and derail you from what God wants you to do. From how He wants to work in your life and what he wants to build in your life and through your life and you have to make a choice about that Nehemiah is a wonderful example of how you can just focus on what God wants you to do and block out all the other distractions and all the other nefarious things that are seeking to derail you and get you off course so we see that the first strategy for squashing slander and dealing with attacks from other people and from the outside is. Uh, to be too busy to bother. First, that's the very first thing we can do. And and that's all it requires, just focusing on God's plan and what he wants for you. The second, as we move along in the text, is this. It may come to a point where you've been attacked so much, so many things have been said, that it needs to be addressed. There There could come a situation when you sense the Lord leading you to actually speak up and say something to address the the, the criticism, or the problem, or the situation, to speak to it. But the key in this that we see in Nehemiah is to address the slander, but without getting defensive. Because when we start to get defensive, then we make the other party look right. It makes it look like they've actually got something, and there's merit to their critique. Nehemiah doesn't do that. He addresses the situation, and he says, these are the facts, that's it. That's all I've got time for with you, guys, with you guys and what you're up to. So let's see what happened here. After, after they sent four times, and he's like, no, I ain't got time for that. You know, go on, leave me alone. I'm doing what God wants me to do. I'm not going to give in or cave in. In verse 5, in the same way, Sanballat, for the fifth time. So he gets a little bit crafty here, this Sanballat. For the fifth time, he sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. Now, an open letter is significant. Because in this day and time, letters weren't sent openly. They were sealed for security so that not anybody could read them. But Sambalat, as part of his tricky strategy, wanted to leave the letter open so that everybody could read it and they could see what was going on there. Why? Because it was not factual, the contents of that letter. We see in the letter in verse 6, in it was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, it sounds like he's spreading a rumor, all right? I mean, right there, you get it in the phrasing, in the text, right? This is the Old Testament in the Bible, and people are still people. And he says, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you're building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim, you, or to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah, and now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. Then I sent to him, saying, No such things have you, as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work, and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. So, on the fifth attempt, Sam Ballot sends his servant with the open letter to Nehemiah, saying, Hey, we've heard that you're trying to build a kingdom there. That's, that's the purpose of the wall. So, you can build your little domain and you can be king and you can rule over everyone. And you even, you've even got some prophets waiting in the wings who are going to proclaim that you are king of the nation. And he says, uh, and, and it says in the letter, the true king will hear of this. So, he's threatening Nehemiah. That he's saying, we're, we know what's going on, we know what you're planning to do, and we're going to rat you out. When absolutely none of it is true. It's all a complete and total lie. But it's an elaborate lie, right? I mean, he, hits, he checks all the boxes on this one. And he then leads, and he buried the lead initially on this fifth attempt. And he said, so, given everything that you're reading in this letter, Nehemiah, how about we meet together so that we can roll you? And Nehemiah, of course, seeing through all this, he knows all of it's a lie, but rather than going into addressing all of the details about becoming king and the prophets waiting to proclaim him being king, he ignores all of that. He doesn't mess with any of the criticisms, any of the arguments, any of the details. He simply says, you're out of your mind. Everything you just said, you made up. That's it. That's what he does. He addresses the attack, without getting embroiled in an argument about it. Why? Because arguments like that that serve absolutely no purpose waste a lot of time and energy and human resources and distract us from what God wants us to accomplish. When you waste time arguing with people, that is time that you could be using to serve God and follow his will and do what he wants you to do. So he he doesn't he addresses the slander, but he doesn't get defensive. He doesn't feel the need to explain himself or to go into all of those details. He refutes the accusations without explaining his actions. He's already said what he needs to say. I'm too busy serving the Lord and doing what God wants me to do to be bothered with what you're trying to do here. And it doesn't matter how many letters you send, how many lies you make up. I'm not meeting with you. I'm not leaving the work. I'm not stopping what God wants me to do. But he doesn't just double down on his own strength to do it. And I think that's what we need to see here is he refutes what's taking place here. Instead of getting embroiled in an unnecessary argument that's a distraction, he instead uses his time to go to God. Because at the end of the section, as he's being openly attacked here, he goes to God and he says, But now... Oh God, strengthen my hands. Give me the strength to deal with this fool. He doesn't just fly off on him. He doesn't go meet with him so that he can punch him in the face or bring any of his guys down to deal with this threat. He goes directly to God and he says, God, give me strength to endure these attacks, to stay focused, to keep on keeping on, and to do what you want me to do. Because this is your plan and I just want to follow you. God, give me strength. Because he goes to God for strength and t- instead of just trying to be strong himself. Because we as people are tempted sometimes to try to be strong in our own right when we're attacked, when we're facing threats, we're being persecuted, we're being distracted or disrupted. We might want to prove that we're strong enough to take it. But true wisdom recognizes that God is bigger than any of our enemies. And that is where we get our strength to deal with with the threats and the lies and the accusations and the mistruths and the things that seek to distract us. Our slander-squashing strategy number two is to address the slander without getting defensive. Go to God with it. Be too busy in the first place. But if it's unavoidable, if something has to be said, say what needs to be said and just move along and keep going and doing what God wants you to do. Address it without explanation. You don't owe anyone an explanation, really, except for God. The third strategy that we see in the text is this. As we continue in the text, we see the third strategy, slander squash strategy number three. And what Nehemiah did here is he strove to be a person of integrity. So these attacks are coming against him. People are saying he's trying to set up his own kingdom, that he's got prophets waiting to declare his kingship. And Nehemiah just decides that he's going to be a man of integrity. Well, these guys up the ante even further. So they tried to get him to come down so that they could attack him. They tried to trick him into coming down to get him riled up so that he would come down and they could have that confrontation. He still doesn't give in or cave in. Now they try to threaten him, to appeal to his fear. And this is what we see when we, when we looked at that first song at the beginning of the service. My foes are many, they rise against me, but I will hold my ground. Verse 10. We see the third strategy here is to strive to be a person of integrity. Nehemiah says, Now when I went to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mahedabel, who was confined to his home, he said, Let us meet together in the house of God, within the temple. Let us close the door to the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him. But he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Dobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. And so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, oh my God, according to these things that they did. And also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. So word gets back to Nehemiah that... Somebody had stated a prophecy concerning the attacks against him. And we don't know why this person was confined to their home. It could have been some kind of illness or injury or whatever. But Nehemiah goes to meet with him because he claims to have received a prophecy from God. When he gets there, we find that this guy says, Nehemiah, we need to go run and hide in the temple. And we're going to need to lock the doors. It's the most secure place here behind the walls. Because people are coming to kill you and they're coming to do it at night. And this is an attack on a couple fronts. One, Sanballat and Tobiah were hoping that he would run and hide in the temple and that it would actually make everyone else afraid and that they would question him as a leader running away and putting his own safety first. The second is this. Their hope was that he would run and hide in the temple and do something that was considered defiling. Because the temple itself, he had no right to be there. He wasn't a priest of any kind. He wasn't sanctified or or, or he hadn't performed any of the sacraments to be holy in there. And as a result then, had he gone in there, he would have disobeyed God's law concerning people who went into the the holy place in the temple. And it would have been a sin against God, as God had laid out in scripture. So they were hoping that they would also discredit him spiritually as well. Nehemiah, of course, sees through this. And he says, there's no way that God would give you a prophecy telling me to sin against you. Or to sin against him, rather. And uh, there's no way I'm going to run and hide. That's not what God wants me to do. He wants me to build. And he says, no, I'm not going to do it. He knew, just by talking to this person, that they were hired by Sanballat and Tobiah in order to uh, lie to attempt to disparage him and discredit his character. But Nehemiah said, I'm going to be a man of integrity. How could I do such a thing? How could I do something that is sinful like that? How could I run? Should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And sometimes in life when we're being attacked, or people are trying to discredit us or disparage us or distract or disrupt us and get us off course in what God wants us to do, there will be subtle temptations that will come along. There will be shortcuts that come along that we could try to take to accomplish what God wants us to do to make things easier or even things safer to somehow diffuse those issues that are arising and those those lies and, and the distractions and disruptions. But that, when we take those, is motivated by fear. It's motivated by a lack of trust in God that he's going to sustain us, that he's going to give us the strength to keep going even when we're being attacked because God doesn't want us to take shortcuts. He wants us to be people of principle, biblical principle, to live with integrity. And he wants us to be people like Nehemiah who say, should such a man as I or woman run away? No, I will not go in. I won't compromise. I'm not going to do what God doesn't want me to do in order to accomplish what God wants me to do. Because sometimes that is tempting as well, isn't it? To do the wrong thing for the seemingly right reason. But the wrong thing for the right reason is never the right thing. And Nehemiah, Nehemiah says, I won't do it. And what we see in the text here is that ultimately when it comes to being afraid of those attacks and those things that are, are calling us to compromise, the only one that we truly need fear in life, or in ministry, or in service to the Lord, is God himself. And he calls out to God again at the end of verse 14. He even says, remember Tobiah and Sanballat, oh my God, according to these things that they did. And he even includes some other folks who were involved in the conspiracy. This is the first we're hearing of the prophetess Noadiah, and the rest of the prophets who were in league with him, or in league with Sanballat and Tobiah, to try to disrupt the work that was going on but they were all collaborating together to give him a bad name to taunt him, to make him afraid and ultimately by virtue of that make everyone else afraid as well and disrupt and distract and derail God's plan for them but he said I won't do it, I won't compromise I will be a person of integrity when those challenges come along that call you to compromise even if it seems like it's the wrong thing for the right reason don't do it, don't do it Go to God, trust Him, and He will, in fact, give you the strength to keep going and keep moving through, even when those temptations come along, because they're subtle. The last strategy that we see here in the text, the first one that we saw was just to be too busy obeying God, to deal with the nonsense. The second is, if it's unavoidable to deal with the nonsense, address it and move along without explaining. The third is to be a person of integrity who doesn't compromise when those distractions become enticing and tempting and the last we see and this may be the one for those of us who are type A's who like to try to be in control of things and that drives and directs our mental health and our personal well-being and those kinds of things the, the, the fourth strategy for squashing slander and dealing with attacks from others is just coming to the place that we can accept that sometimes it's out of our hands That no matter what we do or don't do, these things are going to happen anyway. Because you can see here with Nehemiah, who has operated nearly perfectly in this situation, it doesn't stop the attacks. They keep coming, and they're relentless, but yet, he keeps doing the right thing, and he accepts that these things are going to happen, and he needs to keep moving. In verse 15, So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month, Elul, In 52 days. And when all our enemies heard it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Moreover, in those days the nobles of Judah, remember those guys from last time? The nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah and Tobiah's letters came to them. So here's our information network where they were getting all the insider information, the nobles from last time. And the, the whole, it was a whole conspiracy. So he says that the, the nobles are sending letters back and forth to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them, so they're giving information out to the enemies about the logistics of what's taking place and what's going on. And we find that in verse 18, here's the motivation for them doing so. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah the son of Era, and his son, Jehoanan had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. So it's a whole marriage thing. Like they're all connected. They're all family, essentially, is what he's saying here. So I guess it's a blood is thicker than water type thing. So they're all conspiring with him, even though they are nobles, rich, important people within the infrastructure, they're conspiring with him to do ill to God's work because of their connections and their family affiliations. And they even went so far in verse 19, Nehemiah tells us that they spoke of his good deeds. So not only were they disparaging Nehemiah, but they were taking the time, these nobles, to talk up uh, Tobiah and what Tobiah was doing. So they were actually working against, not only physically, but they were spreading discord among the people and talking about how great Tobiah was and how bad Nehemiah was. And he says, they also spoke of his good deeds in my presence, and reported my words to him. And here's why. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. So after all of that, Nehemiah says, it was all still happening. It was They weren't directly even attacking me at this point now. They went on to talking up this other guy, talking me down and doing so in order to try to make me afraid. At this point, it was out of my hands. All I could do was keep going back to God and trusting Him because people were going to do what people were going to do. And that is the case with life as well. When God wants us to do something, when He calls us to do something, when He leads us to do something, there are going to be people who will attack us, who will attack what we're attempting to do, who will attack what God is doing in us. And no matter what we do, sometimes it's going to happen. The only thing that we can control is how we respond to it. The only thing that we can control is whether or not we go to God with it repeatedly and consistently like Nehemiah does. And there is a sense in which we at some point have to come to terms with the fact that God is in control of both the good and the bad. And no matter how much we try to control it, we're not going to be able to. He can and he does and we can trust him with it. But if we keep trying to control our lives, if we keep trying to control other people, if we keep trying to control the things that they say and the things that they do against us, it's just going to lead to distraction. And in some cases, real issues in our own personal lives, mentally, psychologically, spiritually, emotionally, because we're trying to control things that we weren't intended to control. Because God is in control of those things, not us. We have to come to terms with the fact that he controls the bad and the good. And we can't control anything that anyone else does. And once we come to grips with that, that's a very freeing thing. Because it's realizing that the outcome is the Lord's. In what he calls us to do and leads us to do. And at the end of the day, as long as we're faithful with what he wants us to do and we're faithful in our relationship with him and our relationship with others, then anything that does happen and all of the outcomes are his too. And that's a great place to be. So how do we deal with the attacks from other people when they try to disrupt and derail us from what God wants us to do and what he's trying to build in our lives? First, we have to be too busy obeying God to bother with it. Second, if we have to address it, we need to just address it according to the facts without getting defensive. Third, we have to be people who live as people of integrity in our service to the Lord and to others. And finally, we have to accept that most of it's just out of our hands anyway, that all we can do is what God calls us to do, and we have to trust him with the rest. So, what do we learn from this text, these 19 verses in chapter 6? We learn that when God wants to build something, sometimes the obstacles and attacks are going to come at us directly. They're going to come at you directly and come at me directly. There will be people who will be standing by to watch you fail and may even try to actively help it along. But we just saw from the Bible, from the scriptures tonight, four strategies for squashing slander, for dealing with those attacks. And here is how we can practically implement them tonight. We need to stick to some things. The first thing that we need to do as we squash the slander in our lives is we have to stick to the plan. What God calls you to do, do it. Stick to his plan for what he wants you to do. Meditate daily on what God is trying to build into your life and make God your goal and your daily focus. Because if you're focused on what he wants you to do and focus on your relationship with him, all of the rest of it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. You have to stick to the plan. Stick to the plan. The second thing that we can do, that we, the way we can practically apply this text tonight, is we can stick to the facts. When someone makes up lies about us or accuses us or we're wrongly attacked and accused, we can stick to the facts. Notice I said wrongly, because sometimes in life when we're Christians and we sin and we make mistakes and people say things about us, they they might actually be right. But in cases where they're not, and it's a complete and total lie, and they're absolutely wrong, and there's no merit to their accusations, stick to the facts. If you're wrongly accused and attacked, address it, but don't explain it. I think it's interesting that when Jesus was attacked, he didn't get into arguments with his false, false accusers either. He stuck to the word of God. And any time there were criticisms and things, he went right to the scriptures and they said, this is what this says, this is what this says. And in some cases toward the end of his life when people accused him of things, he didn't say anything at all. I think there's something to be said for that, that we can learn from that. Stick to the facts when we're wrongly accused and attacked. So we stick to the plan, we stick to the facts, we stick to the principles, the principles of God's word, living as people of integrity. Refuse to give in to fear and make compromises or take shortcuts. The only one we really need to fear in life is God. Matthew tells us that. He says, don't fear the one that can destroy the body, fear the one that can destroy the very soul. There's no mortal on earth that we have to be truly afraid of. The only one we need truly fear is God, the one whom we actually harm and threaten when we take compromises and make sure, or make compromises and take shortcuts. So stick to the principles. And then lastly, stick to the one in control of it all. We have no control over the thoughts, words, and deeds of others. But we can trust the one who does. And it starts with trusting the Lord for salvation. Because the reality of the situation is, if you want the Lord on your side, that only happens through His Son, Jesus Christ. Because we're told in Scripture that if we don't know Jesus as our Savior, that we're an enemy of God and none of this is really relevant anyway. But when we know Jesus Christ and we have a relationship with Him, then we are called a friend of God, one who knows Him and loves Him. And then we have the ability through the Holy Spirit of God to really truly handle and deal with and work through the attacks and the critiques and criticisms of others. Because we have that relationship with Him. So we've seen tonight ways that we can deal with and address and handle attacks. My encouragement and challenge to all of you is to apply sticking to the plan, sticking to the facts, sticking to the principles, and sticking to the one in control of it all, God and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Father God, thank you so much for Nehemiah chapter 6, for another look at your word that we can apply practically with principles that we can live out every day in our relationship with you and others. And God, I pray for our ministry tonight, as we seek to serve you and do what you've called us to do, that if there are those out there who would seek to attack or disrupt or critique or criticize what you're trying to accomplish here, Lord, I pray that you would give us the strength to endure that, and Lord, that you would deal with those things so that we don't have to, Help us to stay focused on what you've called us and led us to do. And help us to walk in faith every day, no matter what others may do, no matter what others may say. And it is in your Son, Jesus Christ's name, who is our Lord and Savior and died for us. We pray tonight. Amen. Thanks for listening. God bless.